Folks, back here with my buddy Kale Green. How you doing, Kale? Doing well. Thanks for inviting me, Jeff. Get a little closer to the mic, there, partner. There yeah, okay, there we go. Love that. Um, happy to have you here. Uh, I want to talk about a couple things. Uh, you're back in Alaska now. Last year, you had bought this awesome RV. Yeah, I uh, decided to get on the road for a while. I was going to be creating a show, teaching people to hike, pack, raft, and bike in different places around the United States. Bought an RV had an incredible local Alaska artist, Sarah Glasser, paint the RV, and then was down on the lower 48, filming different hikes. RV looked awesome. You you got it, you painted it, which looked great, but then uh, it had like the pop-out thing, and you did some interior work, and you had added, like made a little kind of podcast studio, and yeah, I, added I had some battery. I mean, I had modified the whole thing. We lifted the bed up about four inches, stuck another 240 pounds of lead-based battery under that thing. I mean, the, the RV was pretty custom- for production. So it had, you know, oh, it was, was it brand new or was it maybe slightly used? It was a 2017 RV, a Sunseeker that came from ABC RV. So it was, you know, it was like a $45,000 RV. It was a relatively, you know, big, it was, it was like trying to start a new business. It was my business startup that I was trying to make money and capitalize on the, the van life lifestyle and the idea of trying to get people. What's up with like the, seems like with the millennials now, um, I'm like, we're at the cusp of millennials. I'm 84. But you're still one. You're still but, one. But it seems like the... the 82 the, is the, the cusp. The, the true millennials, you know, the really hardcore ones, they they seem to be, some of them want to do this van life, not RV life, but actually like a little minivan, like a, you know, those van things, people totally. buy the it, Mercedes it, vans or the... It makes a lot of sense. I mean, personally, I didn't really ever see the need to want to just go around just to explore. I wanted to try to make something out of it. I thought, man, this is something that everyone's... Like it's it's like a dream that people want to do. Is there a way to try to monetize that dream? So you had uh, when did you leave? I guess last year, right? Yeah, originally I was going to leave in July, but I broke my collarbone in July, so I had to delay that trip. Oh, that was a great video you did on that. Oh, thanks, man. That was a lot of fun to make, despite the circumstances. I, I, my biggest uh, enjoyment of that was how the medical industrial complex kind of reacted. I had several people tell me, you know, you you don't understand what you know. There's so much comp- more complicated. If you don't don't know, folks, kill. Broke the collarbone and the bike. Uh, went to the doctor here to get a quote and ended up going from eight to fifty. Thought whatever it was, how much they tens they of basically thousands. brought in a bill for three thousand some dollars, telling me how big of a deal and discount I was receiving. And luckily, knowing that there was a law that had been recently passed by the Alaska legislature, I compelled them for more information. And when more information started trickling in, it turns out the cost ended up being, you know, upwards of $40,000 for the entire procedure when they brought me a bill for three some thousand dollars. So you went to Mexico. Um, Flew down to Mexico, got the surgery down there from, uh, uh, for $5,800. That's all, that's all in, right? Travel? That's, and- well, no, with the travel, it's seven, but I paid for me and my girlfriend who speaks Spanish and I paid for both of our round-trip tickets, and I bought my surgery for about $7,500. When the video came out, I had a few people, medical people, say, you know, this is so much more complicated than just some video of, like... And, and I said was, well, the, what's complicated is you don't like people knowing that they can go to Mexico or Thailand or wherever they go for procedures. Well, it's complicated when you have a monopoly on the market and you know all the factors that have allowed you to create a monopoly. And, of course, it's complicated. Everything's complicated. 
you know, but just because something's complicated doesn't necessarily mean that people can't point out the problems within the I, systems. I think um, in your case, you know, you're younger and you're don't have a family and kids. And I think a lot of folks are stuck and they, they can't do like they, they aren't going to take a risk of going to Mexico or going well, to Thailand. That, that was why I made this video. It wasn't, I, I've never really ascribed to the idea that if someone bullies me, I care about when they're bullying me. But generally when I made that video, my mentality was I don't care about me. I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to figure out how I'm going to figure out how to work within the system. But there might've been a 19 year old mom who had been in a similar boat and maybe she was raising a kid by herself. And if she goes into OPA and she thinks that's the only bill that she's getting, and that's going to be uh-huh. the, the end and, and, the, and the final be all, it would be good to see something like this in advance to say, Oh no, there is no transparency and, in medical billing. I didn't know that. And if folks haven't seen the video, it's on YouTube and Facebook, YouTube. right? You can yeah, yeah, yeah. search Kale Green, I guess, or if you, if you type in uh, Alaska medical tourism, I think it comes up on YouTube. I just love how you kind of, you were at the airport in the airplane, got to Mexico. I mean, it was a really kind of full experience doc, doc, like mini documentary almost about what you did, but I guess didn't remember I, I talked to you and I said, try to get, try to get, have the camera inside the, uh, oh, room. I tried. And they, they, they squat, they put the kibosh, yeah, kibosh yeah, I, on that. I asked if I could mount, and I brought with me, I asked if I could mount a GoPro on my head during the procedure. They said no. I thought maybe in Mexico, yeah, like, a, uh, little, a, little uh, a little loose, maybe I could slip him a few hundred. No. So you sent the picture where, I mean, you were like totally cut open and there was a titanium. Uh, Still here? What's, what's not Still a rod, right but I yeah. guess a, I'm a, tapping a on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got, I've got, um, a piece of metal that goes over. I, they could remove it at this point because my bone is fully. Are healed. you back to hundred percent? Uh, yeah, with that shoulder. Can you do like a pull up? I mean, is it going to risk yeah. any risk of getting re-injured? Or? No, no, no. It's it's totally fine now, and I barely notice. It's a little bit tight in that shoulder, but the strength is nearly back. I, and I remember it. when you got it, like you were, you had the. The, the sling and you couldn't really lift it much. I, could, I couldn't lift it. It was, uh, you can't walk too fast or the, the, you know, force of how fat I am reverberating through my bones would, uh, you know, hit I, that. I do prefer current kale compared to, um, this, is, this is a constant topic between us. <laughs> you were, uh, what I refer to as emaciated kale a couple of years ago. You mean when I dieted down to a normal weight? You, you looked very sickly to me. Yeah. I, I appreciate your concern. <laughs> I prefer the current kale. Looks- well, yeah, I, I like me as I am too. <laughs> So, okay, so you go to, you get the RV, you get delayed because of the, the collarbone thing, and you, you go down, you're, you're... I'm down there in October, and immediately, uh, well, I was working on a documentary film, um, uh, and so what, I ended up... The whaling one, or? No, I was working on a documentary film up in Koktovik, and so I ended up shipping my RV down to Seattle, and so I just picked it up down in Seattle, and then drove down to Portland. That was the first place that I was filming, ended up getting incredible weather for the month of October into November... And then I had to come back up to Alaska to do more filming. So I ended up being in the RV for a little bit, coming back up, and then going back down for a little bit, doing some more filming. And then I went to Ecuador, came back over to Alaska, went back down, and then I was in Vegas for like the entire month of uh, the end of January. You did that video on, uh, was it a hike or was it that outdoor video you did? It was a canyon. What was that? You posted some. Oh, there, there, there was Icebox Canyon. There was a lot of, like, in the Red Rock area in Vegas. Absolutely beautiful part of right. the country. So so the, the plan with the Wild Explorer is you go around the country, go to these places, enjoy the outdoors, but then make a, vi- make a video and show people what yeah. it is and how to do it. And- so the idea is that I'll stop in a town for about a month at a time, and I'll map out videos of hikes and outdoor activities. And those videos typically last 90 seconds to two and a half minutes long. And those end up being a guide so that if someone says, oh, I want to go to Portland, well, instead of going to the, you know, Oregon, visit 
Oregon website where it says, oh, yeah, you can do this hike. And it's kind of a footnote. It puts hiking on the, the, the front page. And it says hiking is what you come here for. And so you can click and be like, oh, if I go to Portland, there are 10 activities that I can see two-minute-long tutorials on. In every one of these big cities, and my idea is to map out every large city in you, the western. You, you did a Portland thing, like a river, or did you do something, something with uh, a lake, or there was a river, river. I, I don't, I don't know what what, what river. I'm trying um, to think, you did something in Portland or in Oregon. It was some outdoor. It was a cool video. I remember watching it. And thinking, oh, uh, well, I filmed a lot in the Columbia River. Columbia, yeah, Columbia, yeah, the yeah. Columbia River National Scenic Area, which is an absolutely beautiful part of the country. I mean, it had a pretty big fire in 2017, so. Even when I was down there filming, I couldn't do a lot of the hikes that I'd been able to do in like 2015, 2016. But now tell me about this fucking robbery. Oh, this is the this is the low point. I mean, I felt so bad when I heard. Well, this. The, yeah, the low point of the Oregon trip. So I initially had planned to have the RV, and I was going to be traveling around, um, and I'd park the RV at trailheads, and you know, I, I didn't realize that outside of Alaska, that the same uh, pattern of theft at trailheads was as prevalent. And I left my RV in a pretty open space. It was directly on next to the highway. There were tons of cars in the parking lot. And, uh, someone broke in while I was on a hike over in the, uh, next to government camp outside of Portland. And they stole uh, all my cameras and all my lenses that I had. This is a lot of money, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a decent amount of money, enough money where I was very glad to be insured. Oh, I just, I, when I heard about that, I just, I wish I, you wish you could like just, if not catch them in the act, I mean, you, you want to catch them in the act. Oh, you, no, you I wish wanna, I was you, there. You want to catch them. Just, I, I wish I was there. You want to because it just, frust- it just makes me so angry that, you know, so somebody works so hard to do something and, you know, buy stuff and, you know, you're, you're not, somebody didn't give you the stuff. You bought it. So, I, well, I had a, I had a really good pep talk at the time from uh, someone in my life who, you know, at first after it happened, I was like, well, my idea is not going to work anymore. It's not going to be possible. And of course, like the first few hours after something like that, ha- that happens, you, you could find yourself spiraling in a negative way. And I found myself in that scenario and I was talking about how it's like, well, I might just have to quit this thing that I've been planning for years and years and years. I might not be able to do it. And they brought up a good point and they said, oh, Oh, I, did, I didn't realize that the thieves also stole your dreams. I thought they just stole your stuff. Oh, nice. I like that. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I you know. Did they, ever, did they ever find anything? They caught nothing. They caught nothing. They found nothing. I have no idea where. I mean, like, some of it, you know, I'm still hopeful because they took, took like, an Inspire 2, which is, you know. It's uh, a drone, right? It's a drone that's, you know, upwards of $10,000. So, I mean, you're looking, you're looking at, are they, do they have serial numbers or? Yeah, yeah, a lot of the stuff has serial numbers, but you so know, pawn shops or th- there's a reporting system that they're supposed to be able to do, but I don't, I don't think it probably works. And honestly, it's like you know, there's a certain dollar amount that those people stole it stole. It's like you know, one X is how much everything cost, and the amount that they're going to get off of that and, and going to end up being like a few nothing, thousand dollars. Nothing. Yeah, it's it's like you know, I have this like weird dream where I'm like, maybe instead of buying meth and instead of buying heroin, they started a production company. And they're starting. No, they didn't. <laughs> I, I'm hopeful. Yeah. I, I have doubts that they did, but you know they could have you, you, pursued you, their Part 107 and started flying drones and found out that it gave their life meaning. The only thing better than not, that not happening is you finding a post on Craigslist. Oh, I, I was looking everywhere. There, or, there was or I, I mean, Facebook like, or something, and then like, oh, hey, I really want to meet you, and then you, know, you show up. I mean, if you knew they had it, would you would you show up with cops or without cops? I mean, I, I would probably show up. With me, if it was me, I'd almost want to show up with a buddy and have somebody like watching. But I, I, I'd want to very clearly I mean, to, tell them, "I know you stole my shit. I'm taking if, it back right now." If if I knew 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that they took it, I'd involve the cops. Because the truth is, the government and the cops can mess with someone in a way that I never can. Yeah, you're not like a mobster. You're I'm like, not a mobster. You're not going like... to but the cops can put them, like, you know, the amount of money that they stole, that's a federal crime. They could have gone away for quite some period of time. So, luckily, I you know now I've downgraded what's in the RV. So, I'm only keeping essential cinematography gear with me. I had to buy a lot of stuff and replace it. And then, uh, and that ended up being pretty essential when I, I did a, you should, a you should get a commercial shoot over in Idaho and did a couple commercial jobs in other places. You should get a ring on there. Oh, I do. I do have a security system Good, now. Yeah, because yeah, cool. I've, I've got Wi-Fi that's always in the RV. And so... Pretty amazing. You had that AT&T device, right? That basically allows well, you to have Wi-Fi, right? It's AT&T, but it's not AT&T. So it turns out you can go to unlimitedville.com. And if anyone listening is deciding to go, please let me know because I get a referral code. But you can go to unlimitedville.com. And right now I pay $200 a month. And anywhere where you get cell phone reception, if you have AT&T, this device will allow you unlimited data upload and download. And it's just $200 a month for unlimited data anywhere where you have AT&T. And it's not AT&T that's providing it. It's unlimitedville.com, which has a grandfathered-in contract with T-Mobile, Verizon, Sprint, and AT&T. So when you were in lower 48 traveling around, did you ever have an issue with uh, service? or were Never. You ever- no, I basically had it anywhere, like as long as my cell phone. And that's most places. So uh, recently you were, I guess, Arizona, right? Well, yeah, I'd been in Vegas for about five weeks, and then I went to Arizona, and I was in Flagstaff, and then... That's when the Rona started. Well, I started hearing a lot more stuff about Rona when I was down in Vegas, and, you know, being an Alaskan, it was funny because I saw everyone doing the same thing I was doing back home. I'd see pictures of shelves that were totally empty, and my RV now has two months of extra food, just in case. Mm -hmm. But when I was down there, no one cared. The, the people of Vegas were not the same preppers that I grew up with. Yeah, the interesting thing where I was talking about you, but other people I know, friends, uh, if you're in Seattle or San Francisco or New York or Chicago, you know, you're stuck in an apartment building, you're stuck in a high rise, or you're stuck in a city. Hard to get out, hard to go anywhere. We're pretty lucky. We can go to the mountains. We can go on a trail. And a lot of folks have actually come back to Alaska. Yourself is one of them, but other people yep. I know have come back here to for this quarantine stuff, whether it's a college student or somebody lost their job or from Alaska and maybe the one bright light here is we live in a place where we can actually kind of, you know, I guess enjoy might be the wrong word, but appreciate. I I, I can enjoy the outdoors here, regardless of what's happening in other places. Like 100%. We're super lucky to be here. It was kind of a, a funny decision for me to come back in the first place because I was in Northern Arizona, which didn't have many cases of Corona when I came up on March 22nd. Um, but I made the decision on a Friday uh, I ended up coming up, we were going to go do a hike over in the Navajo Nation on this hike called the Chocolate Waterfalls or Grand Falls. And we drove 40 minutes to get out there from Flagstaff. And when we made it there, the Navajo Nation just had like a handmade sign that was like, the falls are closed, don't come in. I was like, you know. So that's when you, is that when it kind of hit you? It hit me that I wasn't going to be able to continue going around filming hikes. Even though the RV was self-sufficient and I could you know, I could drive down to Sedona without having to go into a grocery store. The RV was fine. I have water. I have a bathroom. I have everything I need. You don't need to interact. Did you with go? To, did you go to Sedona or no? Oh yeah, there are so many Alaskans who live down there in the winter. I love Sedona. It, it's it's like, have you been there? Um, Phoenix, Tucson. I, I guess probably. I mean, I grew up in New Mexico, so I you know you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely Phoenix, Scottsdale. You know, totally. Time there, it's. I like it. It's just I can't take the heat. It's just too hot in the summer. Sedona in, in the the spring and the falls. Basically, just a like, like New Mexico, where I grew up in Albuquerque, it's desert, right? It's, yeah, but it's five thousand feet. 
It's high desert. So even if it's a 100-degree day in the middle of July or August, it's going to cool off at night. Totally. Part of Arizona, like Phoenix, I mean, it'll be midnight. It'll still be 90 degrees. Yeah, they, they don't have enough altitude there to cool everything off. It's just off. too... Oof. Yeah, Sedona is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I spent a little bit of there's time down there. There's a ton of Alaskans there. down there. Yeah. You know that? People have second houses or snowbirds. Well, or... there's a lot of Alaskans in Flagstaff, too, because the NAU connection. Right, yeah, Northern Arizona University. Okay, so you come back, and then you've essentially kind of been back Yeah, I, I came back. My decision was, um, you know, do I want to try to stay outside in a place when everything's potentially closing down? Or do I want to come back up to Alaska where things are potentially closing down, but I also have a girlfriend and I can go outside. Taylor Thompson. Taylor Thompson. Big fan of her. Yeah, she's a great girl. She actually has a podcast too. I got I got to get her on my podcast. Yeah. I can't be on her podcast because it's a it's Alaska lady business. Yeah, you're not a lady business. You're I'm not, not a, a business owner who is a woman. I'm not uh, I'm not the right demographic for that. But uh, I mean, you could identify that way if you wanted to. Just for the podcast. I wonder if that would work. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't I think some folks might have a take. I think Taylor would be the first one to say no. I have a feeling you're right, but you know. So what? I mean, what's the plan? I mean, because we talked about in the previous podcast, we did. We met through my campaign in 2016. Yep. Um, but since you've done a lot of camp campaign, I mean, campaign season coming up in Alaska. And well, I mean, I know the first step with campaign season coming up in Alaska is probably going to be a lot more uh, episodes of my, my oh. new featured uh, on the landmine, which is the review. So I want to talk about that because if you haven't seen folks. Kale's been doing, he's basically been reviewing videos of campaigns and he went back and the first one was uh, Al Gross. The, the Al Gross and his kind of skiing down down this big mountain. And yeah. So far the review is is constantly evolving. The first episode was making fun of Al Gross's commercial. The second episode, to keep it fair and nonpartisan, the truth is I, I'm, I'm, you know, a registered Republican. I'm a libertarian. Like I am partisan mm -hmm. in some, so it will always... Uh, but you can always, I mean, you can always, no matter what you are, if, if you're, if you're, if you have a sense of humor, you can always make fun of, you whoever. can make fun of everyone. I mean, that's the big deal. But I, I also ascribe, ascribe to the idea of journalism and journalistic ethics that like Kierkegaard put out. That was, there is no objective journalism. There is no objective news and you should never strive for it because the striving for it is actually the lie. And so when yeah, you, like when you, when you put your news and you say, this is my slant, then people can easily identify it. The, uh, the Al Gross one was good, but the AFP one was pretty good because Americans for Prosperity put out. Some strange, it was a TV commercial, but like also a 15 a second long ad. Facebook ad, and it was just like talking about a spending cap, but it was, it was true north. And I thought when I first saw it, I thought it was a, for, the, for the credit union. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, when, when you really dive down to it, so the first one making fun of Al Gross was mostly, the Al Gross one ended up being, hey, you're making an ad that you're targeting to Alaskans, but in all realism, this is targeted to people in lower 48. I don't know who your it, audience is. It was when a trip to Alaska, right? Yeah. The Al Gross one boiled down to there are some national consultants on his race who, in my opinion, are just fleecing the money, for, the campaign for money. And so they're trying to get low donations from other places and they're spending money on increasing his name ID in the lower 48 instead of increasing his name ID amongst Alaska. I mean, that's fine if you're getting for big donors. You know, no, it's, somebody's it's, writing a $2,600 check. It's and... great when you're a campaign consultant or you're when you're a fundraiser <laughs> and you get a commission. And that makes a lot of sense to me. So that one's that one. The AFP one was funny in a similar vein, but very different because AFP, uh, they put out something from their nonprofit instead of their uh, independent expenditure arm. And because it was a nonprofit, they couldn't say anything. So it was easy to make fun of because they didn't say anything. And they also had all this like really cheesy, like over the top Alaska whale. And well, they showed all this Alaska imagery, including uh, an image 
of Ketchikan <laughs> when they were talking about Juno, which should be mentioned somewhere. I like how you froze it and you said, this is like this dock or whatever. Was I was like, it's a very pretty dock. It's very nice. The only problem is that that's not Juno. The, the, my favorite part about the Kale Review is you created this like intro, which is like almost like a 1980s sitcom kind of like you're like laughing and there's like this kind of music and it's like the review with. Oh, it, it's as cheesy as I, I possibly could make it. I was I, I don't want anything awesome. else. Yeah, thanks, man. The, it was the, the last one you did was was actually I think was way more in depth and it was more of an analysis, but it was of all the Forrest Dunbar uh, ads. I, I switched over because one and two were making fun of it was a left wing issue. It was a right wing issue. And then three came out and I was talking about um, the Senate bill that had to do specifically with alcohol. Senate bill 17, I believe. Oh yeah. That was, uh, that was a very 50, 52. It was a very boring episode, uh, <laughs> but it was a good, well, I actually stuck a, struck a chord because I think folks are for those paying attention. There's been a, um, Push for years by Senator Machicki to rewrite some of Alaska's, al- Alaska's alcohol laws, which in a lot of cases need to be rewritten. There's some yeah, no, they, they absolutely do. There was just a piece of the bill oh. that I thought was ridiculous, and so I, I mentioned it. Well, a lot of people, you're not the only one. I mean, a lot of Senator Keel in the Senate, he called it out as you know, basically they've created this carve out for breweries, wineries, and distilleries for for tasting rooms if they're going to have you know people come in, and this has been an issue for a long time with. You know, the kind of if you're having, if you're serving alcohol or drinks and a t- liquor license, liquor industry folks saying it's a liquor, they're serving liquor and the distillery brewery people are saying, well, look, it's just kind of a tasting room. And they, they created a new license structure and, you know, um, it was like one, the ratio was like one to 12,000. So I mean, three the, in Juno. The, the, the crazy thing about all this at the end of the day is I just never understood in the first place why I, I signed up to be part of the Republican Party because I was part of the libertarian wing. I've always been a libertarian more in many ways more than I have been a Republican. And I always thought that so many people were on board with that. But then I see things where people are restricting other people's freedoms. Like there's nothing about any of these alcohol laws, this limited entry system that we've created that's done anything to reduce alcoholism in the state of Alaska. And I can say that because we're not good with alcohol. We have such high DUI rates in comparison to other places. Like, well, one thing it has that is that has made some folks very wealthy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Licenses early in the eighties, and but the same arguments that were being made by people when they were cheering on the adoption of Uber in the state of Alaska and and casting off the the idea of the taxicab monopoly, it's funny to hear the opposite arguments with the exact same logical stroke being used in a different way to well, justify it, limited entry. And it was it was actually kind of ironic to see the the one guy who made the argument, the conservative market argument in the Senate was Jesse Keel, who's a Democrat kind of a progressive Democrat from Juneau. Yeah. And when he made the speech, I had several people texting me and afterwards people were saying, wow, you, had, you know, D- Democrat Jesse Keel making them free market argument when everybody, and the truth is what happened was the bill, when you do a bill, you get the people who are interested in the bill. In this case, it was the, the char, char, the alcohol industry, the Brewers Guild. Yep. They got together and you know, they have lobbyists and power and they have influence. And the average Alaskan who wants to go to a brewery and have a drink, uh, he's not going to have much input. Or she's not going to have much input. Yeah, this was the compromise that was made to fix the issue. Honestly, I was I was going to uh, end up publishing a little bit of a retraction on part of that piece because uh, <laughs> this is kind of funny. Uh, I got contacted by someone who helped write the bill, and they were telling me about some things that, while I didn't get wrong, that I could say, like, hey, like this isn't perfect, but it's good. And I was like, you know, I agree with that. It's not perfect, but there are parts of it that are good. Until... 
I saw a comment that that person's staffer had sent on Facebook basically saying, I don't know anything. And I was like, yeah, no, you know, screw that. I'm not going to print a retraction. You catch more flies with um, honey than vinegar. Yeah, right? that, that staffer was just being, it's like, you know, obviously it was too close to the bill. It's like, he doesn't understand anything. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't understand. Well, you know, it's so enjoy funny. that. You enjoy know, that, that, that incredible big brain that you got. You spent some time in Juno doing photography, you know, videography. With, yeah, with I worked with, with KTVA. And I've been, been there for two sessions with, with Landmine. And it's, it's just, it, it amazes me how staffers sometimes when you criticize or, or just even write something about a bill they're working on, how, how personal, legislators too. How personal they take it. Here, here's here's the lesson that I've learned pretty recently, and it's it's a lesson that I take off of an episode of Seinfeld. Now, there's an episode about an ugly baby, and love that one. In the episode about the ugly baby, uh, it was it was um, Jerry and what's the gal's name? Um, Julie Dreyfus, Elaine. Jerry and Elaine. They're just talking about how ugly the baby is, and they're so tired of all these people saying how how pretty the baby is. <laughs> and the problem that you have with people's ideas in politics is that it becomes their personal baby. If they write a bill, it's not just their idea, it's their child. And if you insult their child, you're insulting them. It's a slight against them personally, and it's not, because we all have good ideas, we all have bad ideas, and if you enter in the political realm— you better be ready to have those ideas be criticized because the courts have constantly, again and again, validated that political realm is the highest level of like uh, of scrutiny. Uh, what is it? The highest level of protected speech for scrutiny that they have. Like you can say anything to politicians. I mean, even you know, this is something I don't know how you fix it, but I mean, you can you're running against somebody or. An opponent. I mean, you can you can just lie. You can just say whatever you want, and there's nothing you, wrong with it. You can't. The stolen valor uh, decision that they had. That mm-hmm. was you know the guy in California, I think, who or whatever state. I think it's California who said that he had like a medal of honor. He made it into public <laughs> office, and people were like, "Wait, you don't have that?" And he's like, "Yeah, well, I don't have uh, to." This, lie. this is the big fight on Facebook right now with Zuckerberg, and they're they're asking him in Congress. You know, um, would you would you allow an ad to be to be published or to be <clears throat> approved that is um, you know saying something false? And he's kind of stuck because they're a private company, but yeah. they're, they're also at this point. I mean, so many people use it. But the question is, I mean, how false does something have to be? If something's half true or half false, like how do you start to scrutinize? Does Facebook have a team of people who's, whose job it is to scrutinize an ad and look up every claim the ad makes? I mean, I don't know. That seems to be an impossible task. It, it, it's for not them, possible. For them to police that. I mean, here's a good example of that. They've gone so far overboard on it. On the other day, there was a comment. So on 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 Instagram, which is where I probably spend a majority of my social media time, um, I had seen that Lisa Murkowski from her official Senate page ended up posting up a photo and saying happy birthday to one of her sons. And it was a very nice post. It was very sweet. And someone commented, you should be ashamed. You and Donald Trump are both terrible. And I was like, she was going on and on and on. <laughs> And I just it's made a birthday. A, I'm yeah, and I basically was like, whoa, 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 cool your jets here. And like this was my comment. I was like, cool your jets here. You know, this is a birthday post. And I was just kind of, kind of like trolling her for fun. And I was like, you know, first off, you keep talking about how us real Americans will like vote you out. And I was like, I don't see any real Americans because her profile picture was a cat. I was like, I see a cat. You're a cat. Why should we listen to you? You're a cat. You know, you should be focused I mean, on the, other things. The, the, and I got my my comment got banned. And I got, it's like, what the heck? And I'm looking at Instagram and they're like, you were bullying someone. I was like, I called them a cat. I called them a cat. And really? They, got, this, they, wow. They and got me banned. Instagram. 
It was on Instagram, yeah, Facebook and Instagram. So they banned me for calling someone a cat because their profile picture was a cat. Like I wasn't well, even so being. You're banned from that post. You're banned from Instagram. What happened? I was banned. My my comment got deleted, and that person banned me. So that person who they said I was bullying them because they were just like spitting vitriol, like hate speech at Lisa Murkowski. They banned me from them. So I couldn't comment and make fun of them anymore. Well, you see, I mean. Because they built their little safe space. I don't know if you follow all the stuff with Twitter, but how many people get banned? And then, you know, I mean, there was a guy, a local guy, the climatologist guy for some reason got banned. It was a big thing. I mean, they undid it, but they review things and, you know, they, they ban people. They give them a, a, a timeout, you know, a week timeout or whatever. And then they. Oh, it's crazy. But, but sometimes they don't even, they aren't even clear about like, I mean, somebody said something maybe a little bit offensive, but I mean, nothing we haven't all heard in our daily lives. Right. But now these people have the power and it's like teams of folks they hire in rooms mm-hmm. that are younger people that kind of the, these sensors or these minders and they decide who, you know, that'd be a story I'd watch is who these sensors are and how they make their decision. I think and what have, life experiences. There's been, there's been some, there's been some stories. And I think it's a lot of the younger people, you know, people and people abroad as people in different countries. Yeah. It's crazy that other, I mean, like, I get it, and it is private, sure, but there are rules about what newspapers can and can't do because of how much power they wield, and you have to look well, at Well, the that. thing is, like, they talk about Facebook, you know, like, like, you know, AOC and other people have really hit Zuckerberg about, you know, are you going to allow false ads to be, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure KTU or KTV or ABC or NBC um, or, the, or the whatever entity people put um, TV ad or, you know, video ads on. They aren't the arbiters of, they just, they just no. run the end. And so that, that's, that's the funny thing with this. You know, I was actually rereading a book. So I was, uh, the, the fourth video of the review that I did was about Forrest Dunbar. And I ended up digging and rereading this book by Richard Nixon. It was the last book that he wrote. And one of the chapters that he talked about tricky, was. Tricky Dick. Tricky Dick. But like the guy was a moderate Republican and, and outside of the Watergate decision, he really did make a lot of good decisions. Oh, it's crazy. Chi- that, China. Yeah, that, um, that's what, how he, what, what he did for uh, for Native Americans. That's that's how he starts the book. Is he talks about when he opened up China. He talks about like the first few pages are him going to China, and he had been told by by someone he's like like hey like you're about to meet a colossus, but he's a colossus who's dying, and like he's like you know he got to meet Chairman Mao, which is just like an insane mm-hmm. thing in the first place. He's talking about meeting this basically like living China god. Like the the person who was the country for the longest time, and that's how he starts the book. But yeah, he ends up he ends up talking about the media and the problems that he has with the media. He's like, if the founders could he, see, he hated the media. Nixon oh yeah, hated no, he hated. He, he, one of his criticisms, and this, you know, he's an older man when he wrote this. He's like, one of the criticisms that he pointed out. He's like, if the founders could see that, you know, their system safeguarded against the three branches, and they never realized how much power the fourth branch of media would have because they never had. Well, that that's why they call it the fourth before. estate. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think Nixon's, I've read a couple books about Nixon and his biggest problem. I mean, he was, you know, he was vice president for eight years under Eisenhower, I think Senator, but he was just paranoid. He had a paranoia about him Yeah, and and that ultimately brought him down. But you know, there's stuff we did with, with the Soviet union, the strategic arms limited talks. Well, yeah. You have to remember too, Nixon proposed universal, uh, uh, healthcare. Mm-hmm. And that's back when the Democrats shot it down and the Republicans voted up. I mean, I wonder how the Democrats feel today about when they I mean, voted Nixon, it down then. Nixon was, you know, became president at a time when the country was probably as divided, or maybe more divided than it is now. I mean, you had you know, Martin Luther King killed, Robert Kennedy killed, JFK. Yeah. The '60s were you know, Medgar Evers, all all these Malcolm X. I mean, it just create you know riots, Vietnam, Woodstock, and I mean, very you had the kind of that's where the term "silent majority" came up when Nixon yeah. won in '68 because because he he had run for um, 
president against uh, Kennedy, and that was a famous debate where the TV. For, you know about that? Oh, yeah. Where he was sweating and he looked... At people. One looked one look good on radio or yeah. sounded good on radio. One sounded good people in television. People who listened to it thought Nixon won. People who watched it thought Kennedy won. Um, and then he ran for governor of California and he lost. And everybody thought Nixon was like dead politically. Yeah, yeah. He's, 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 he's done. And then Goldwater in 64 got, you know, didn't didn't win. That was like the future of the party. And he came around in 68, and it was silent. It was kind of a Trump, very similar to Trump, actually. Yeah. A lot of people were very angry about a lot of things, the war and about, you know, this kind of rising movement of, of the progressives and the hippies and all that. And they were their crime was going, they were all pissed off. Yeah. And uh, they didn't want to say it, but they, they pushed the button. You know, the, yeah, they, the they, they voted him in. What well, was interesting listening to him talk about media and, you know, how it's changed, but... Um, and how powerful they they've become. Not to say that you know one day it would be great for the landmine to be in that position. You know? I mean, I've t- I was talking last night with somebody about the, the media is it's actually very so powerful. I mean, you, you can you can take people down. You oh, one hundred percent. Bring people up, and you know, well, I mean, you, you it, it, can, sometimes people deserve to be taken down because they did something wrong. But other times, you can look at how the media portrayed Ted Stevens back when everything was happening. You know, with him. Mm-hmm. And it was every day there was news stories about Ted Stevens and Ted Stevens, and suddenly Mark Baggage was was in office. I mean, that, that was a combination of media and you know government just out of control. The prosecutor. I mean, I was talking to our Lee Baxter about he, he might be doing a story about that and kind of with Michael Flynn stuff. Now they're talking about maybe some similarities, but um, you, you also had, and I think it was fair to criticize you know Parnell and the the National Guard. But, you know, I, I recall every but to the day, level that they did every day before that election, the ADN had a story. Yeah. Or the dispatch and whatever it was had a story. Well, it's interesting which issues they pick. And, and, and then they after the election. Seemed to go away. Didn't really have much going on there. Yeah, it was weird how every day that was a really big story with the, uh, the Alaska dispatch. And it's, it's just that was like the that, Rogoff owned dispatch, yeah, too. It was. And it's just like that old saying of, you know, with power, power comes responsibility and. I thought you were um, going to say power corrupts, but that also that, makes that sense. Also, I mean, there, there's a guy, um, Michael Taibbi, you know him? He's an independent journalist. He's uh, written some books. He's been on some Joe Rogan podcasts, and he's a kind of really good guy, and he's a, he's a fair kind of objective, one of the maybe last of really truly objective people. But he talked about how these new journalists now, these younger people, that it's become kind of cause or activism where, where they have a, you know, kind of thought or they have an agenda or they have a, you know, idea in their mind that's and that's what they focus on mm-hmm. and he said the truth is somebody who's you know the bad guy tomorrow today could be the good guy tomorrow sure and you, you can't just and you see a lot of the stories that get written nationally i mean it's it's just it's 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 an upset you know i'm not sitting here saying trump's the best guy ever but it's just this kind of obsession with i mean everything he does or says it's bad oh so many different it's well, I think I think it's important to take the partisan hat off for a second, which is why I was so excited to do that that video about Forrest Dunbar uh, that recently came out with the review. Because, like, you know, I I have been for a long time uh, a member of someone you know closer on the right, and I'll probably end up going with Bill Evans in the race. If the race was held today, I'd vote for Bill. I like I've, Bill Evans. Yeah, I like. I I have always liked on a personal level Forrest Dunbar, and because I really started paying attention in a pretty dramatic way and started doing like working on campaigns every single cycle since 2013 and while i had done some work in 2010 i'd really started working consistently since 2013 and forrest was the one candidate that i've been up to watch the entire time throughout that process right because the congress the first one was congress and the the fun music video deal yeah yeah it's crazy how 
you go back and watch that and you think about, I mean, he would just, if you know Forrest, he would never in a million years do something like that. Oh, no, or, or the, the shooting, uh, what is it, um, Paul Ryan's budget with a shotgun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I forget, I forgot about that one. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget. And then remember Forrest Dunbar was pulling the national gimmick of shooting a bill with a shotgun. It's, it's like, it's, how, how often is that, that shotgun blast ever done anything? It's, it, it's also, um, I think, important to note that, you know, when you're a new candidate, when you no one knows who you are, when you're brand new, you can get, get away with a lot. Yeah. When you become elected and people are more scrutinizing of you, then, I mean, it's, it's kind of the way it is and it sucks. But the reality is you have to be a little, a little more careful about it. I mean, you can't be as free as if you're just some new person on the scene. You can say whatever you want, do whatever you want. Totally, and that's that's when you know the same way that I helped out with your race in 2016. That was fun. That was fun. That was a good race. <laughs> Remember the, uh, the the lake? The lake? Yeah. No, no established candidate, no candidate who was ever going to win was going to enter and do their campaign launch video quite in the way that you did of coming out of a lake. Yeah. The irony was that was Campbell Lake. You know, the irony is Natasha Von lives on the lake. This is way before the camp. This is like five years ago. What, what has to be so funny is that there was a house in the background on the lake, and it was Natasha's house, so, but only by accident. Well, well, I said, and I didn't know it was her house, and I yeah, remember yeah, having yeah. the conversation. I said, I said, I bet that's it, because it is the nicest house <laughs> yeah. on the lake. And you, you, she wasn't in the race when you first started. It was you versus McGuire. Right, yeah, it was, it was me, yep. And like there was, you know, we had this video, and there was this really nice house. I mean, house there was in the like background. there was a lot of talk about her and, getting in the ring. And was... be, yeah, there was a lot of talk. But because I was a bad videographer at the time, instead of focusing on you, the focus was actually on the house in the frame. So if you look, you're a little bit out of focus, and the house is super sharp. So it looks like we were like really conniving from but, the beginning. I think me popping out of the water. My name is this is Jeff Landfield. I never of this message was. Was just that was the was whole kind of bit. Iconic. <laughs> that, yeah, that that was the whole bit, and then Natasha's house being in the background just ended up being really comical uh, happenstance. Remember the one we did where the the end when I lost, and then I went back home, I went back in the lake, and then I was and then I was in the lake, and I did that kind of last like weird kick. Yeah, you, the, you the just said like kick. I'll, I'll call it the Jeff Mermaid kick. <laughs> if you if you had fins, it would have been totally appropriate. So Jeff's final video. So he came out of the lake in 2015 when the race was first starting. He came out of the lake during the, the end. It was cold. I went back in. No, I know. But at first I'm saying you came out. It's as if Jeff's it campaign it even, started. It was July, but it was still pretty cold. Jeff's campaign started. He came out of the water and when he lost, he went back in. <laughs> that little kick with that little kick and that was it and then the next time they saw you you made it back no you were leaving to australia that's when we did the um me on on flat top with the uh the goodbye video yep and that's when they remember the guy came and got mad at you about the drone or oh i i remember i remember because i've been dealing with that still today and you just did a post actually we'll talk about that in a second the post but um we did the video where i came back with the drone over on luga point and i remember all my friends in australia and all the people that i've been traveling um, many of them were like, what, what do you have like a production company? Like, cause it was an amazing drone video, right? It, it looked pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, there was an inspire too. like that inspire too is like a 10,000 some dollar. The one they stole? So it's like, Oh yeah, that was the one they stole. So that one's gone. Jesus. Yeah. Well, I remember many people were like, how do you, how do you just like make these? Like, who did this? Like, yeah, who are yeah. you? <laughs> but, but, uh, no, you did the post about the drone stuff because there was some issue where somebody was trying to. So you couldn't use drones? Every the- every time I post up a video or a photo of anything in Chugach that's done from a drone, or if you see it in the hiking groups, eventually it's just going to happen where someone posts up a link from a DNR, uh, a link on their website that says drones are illegal in the Chugach. And the problem is that they're not. 
they're not illegal in the Chukach, and it's a bad interpretation of a law. And I say that for a couple reasons, but the primary argument that I'd use is that the state of Alaska in Chugach State Park has said that you cannot fly aircrafts or you cannot land or take off aircrafts from within the park. Okay. So you can't land or take off. A helicopter. However, when the state of Alaska defined this law and created this law, they defined aircraft and they narrowly tailored it. And the definition does not apply to drones because it's a vehicle that weighs less than 12,500 pounds uh, used for flight or movement of goods or people. A drone does not transport either goods or people. It is simply a service. So it is not moving or flying with goods or people. So, so you it's have not these a, trolls that are making con- just just like if I'm it's, making it's, a Facebook it's Live. Not, the, the, it's the, not the, trolls. Sorry, I just I, not not to cut you off. It's not trolls. It's people who are all right with the government saying you can't do it, and they don't ask about their authority and where it comes from, because no one at Chugach State Park has had the time to create a good set of drone regulations, which is actually something I'm working on right now because I'm so tired of this question. Like, the only reason I'm working on these regulations is because how often I've gotten to this stupid online debate with people saying, oh, but there's a website. And if there's a website, it must be true. And I said, no, just because you can modify HTML5 doesn't mean you have the authority of law. I have never heard of anyone getting a ticket for this because I don't think they have real authority. And if they did, it would lose in court, you know, just what, like what, all what, these others. What is the big deal if you're out there in the middle of nowhere having a drone and taking and making a video? I don't understand. Like, Here, who, who thinks who thinks there's a problem with that? Here's here's the number one complaint that I always hear is noise. But the truth is that if, who's out there? Well, in some of these places, no one. But let's say you're at, at the flat top. You're at flat top. Okay. You're at flat top. You're starting at the Glen Alps trailhead and you hear a little drone above you when you're hiking. And well, that's you can't fly annoying. drones over people. Isn't that already a You're lot? not allowed to fly drones over people, but you could be close to them without flying over them. The truth is someone could be, you know, an asshole. But as of right now, the noise complaint, I think, has no validity because I can bring my speaker out there any size. There's no decibel limit. And in winter, I can ride my snow machine along Powerline Pass, and there's no decibel limit. So the idea that noise... You can ride a snow machine on Powerline? Uh, yeah, on the, on, on, yeah, through Powerline during the winter, during certain times of the year. Oh, I didn't know that. No, no shit. Yeah, you can drive back there. You can also snow machine on Campbell Lake. Yeah, well, <laughs> there, are, there are many sections of the uh, Chugach that are open to snow machines, and the, the truth is they make 10 times more noise so, than so any drone guy, could. The guy that tried to pop us when we did our video when I was leaving for Australia, was that was he right or wrong? I mean, I think he was a ranger, wasn't he? Or? Yeah, he was, he was a park ranger, and he was, he was trying to enforce something just like a, how would I put it, um, just like a cop in the city of Anchorage could give you a DUI ticket if you're on your bicycle. The truth is... DUI doesn't extend to bicycle, and so you'll immediately win in court. So if you, I've heard of that. People on like, or you, you see the guy in the the, the track, you know, the lawnmower guy. Yeah, and or, it's it's not a motorized vehicle, so you can't get a DUI for it. But cops still do it because sometimes cops are misguided. They can't. There's no way they memorize every law. Like, period. They're not lawyers. I like They're those cops. Video, I like those videos when once in a while they Facebook video or YouTube or so they pull over a lawyer and they start arguing, and then all of a sudden once they once they realize they're outmatched, they go, oh, okay. I mean, the, the, the truth is, if you get into an argument with a cop and you're a lawyer, they're going to find something to give you a ticket on. <laughs> like, there was one I saw where a guy was an Uber driver, but he was also a lawyer. He was a pro- assistant prosecutor, and he was yeah, driving yeah. an Uber, and they bu- busted him for, they got a guy, his passenger had something, and they were trying to, like, the guy was saying he couldn't record, and the guy was like, show me the law. Like, did they recently pass a law? And then the yep. sergeant came over, and, you know, he, he said, wait a minute, aren't, aren't, do I know you? And he's like, yeah, I see you at the courthouse. And he's like, 
as soon as they realized he was, it was weird, they totally just, everybody changed their attitude. Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I'll you, never forget the experience in 2017 when I drove around on the KTVA. I was, I was just going to ask, I was just going to ask you about that. Because I, I thought the attitude was very different because every, I, when I was driving around when, or when my dad drove us around when we were younger, he always used to, to joke around and whenever there was a cop, he'd say, boys, maintain. And we were supposed to sit up really straight and not talk, and we were just look straight forward. And it was always like a game we played. Maintain. 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 And it became like a thing. And like, it's still there in me today. I'm like, if I see a cop, I'm like, look straight forward. Don't give him any chance. Like, I just yeah, have this unnecessary. I don't, you don't want to cause a problem or you don't want totally. to get pulled over. I have this unnecessary paranoia of police. But when I drove around in the KTVA vehicle for the first time ever, I felt like I knew what they felt like. Because when I saw them, they maintained because it didn't. You pull up to a to a to a crime scene or something, and you told me you you went somewhere and you, you had the KTVA and the the whole it was almost like a reverse. Cops cops are super afraid of news cars in the same way that I'm afraid of cops. Yeah, it's funny how the tables turn. Pretty well. Quick. I mean, it is, and you and I had experienced something pretty similar when we found out what was it operate Operation Midnight Sun over. Oh at yeah, Park. so we we had somebody tell us there was. 10 cop cars and, you know, a helicopter over at Kincaid. And we go over there and we see this, remember that car was abandoned. We kind of ignored it. We drove up and those guys were um, just real dicks to us. I mean, they were very, we didn't realize there was some big operation going on. We just, Oh, I, I made the biggest mistake ever, which is I didn't walk up filming. Cause we were trying to be polite and we're like, Hey, we're going to try to film some of this. And they're like, you can't. And we're like, yeah, we can. We're, we're in the parking lot. Yeah. And, and he was like, saying the park was closed, but we were still, we weren't even in the park. We were in the parking lot. I but, mean, the, the idea that any officer, <laughs> They have the audacity to say, oh, you can't be in a park after 1130 when there are people camping in there is just ridiculous. Well, well, what, did, what, did, what did he say he was going to, he said, if we didn't leave you, I think it was, if, if he didn't leave, they were going to arrest us. Yeah. Yeah. They, I, they threatened I, us I, with arrest. I actually kind of regret. I mean, I, I, at that point I said, okay, let's, let's get, let's get out of here. Oh, we, but we, sh- but we should have said fucking arrest us. Well, what we, we should have done is that we're not leaving. What we should have done is walked up cameras, cameras rolling. And it taught me a lesson that's very valuable. Don't ever ask if you can film oh, the, with authority the, figures, the other thing, and they'll I, and always try to tell you no. The other thing, and I actually have, I need to give you this. I got the landmine passes that I made that show kind of press. Oh, great. It's a made, great pass made for this kind of situation. Yeah. But also, I, I do, I can kind of, on some side, see their point, because we were in your Subaru, and I was wearing Adidas track pants. I mean, we didn't actually look like, you know, typical media, like KTU pulling up or... I have a little bit of an issue with cops judging people just by what they're wearing or by what they look like on the outside. Yeah, but you, they're, for, they're used to dealing with a certain type of media person with a totally. badge or a, uh, a car or whatever it is. Yeah, I just, I just don't like the idea we, we, that we, you have to have a certain amount of money in today's day and we, age we, to be able to provide news and information. We should, we should, we should have had them arrested. I mean, I don't, they probably wouldn't have actually. No, they were just, they, they were they, just trying to intimidate. They wouldn't have arrested us. Cops but, but, are so, allowed to lie. But the funny thing is we, we left... And we got back to, towards the entrance of where the kind of working Kate starts. Yeah, we saw that car again, and that lady was there. We stopped and we found out that uh, you know the car was reported stolen. These kids were joyriding. Somebody's tire broke. Somebody saw them. They went over. They 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 ran into the forest. Yeah, or to the woods. Um, and she talked to us, gave us an interview. We go back to because at that point we knew what was going on, and um, man, they were not happy. Remember we wrote about him. We I made him the loose unit that week and. APD people were not were not happy about that. Yeah, hopefully it'll help change some behavior. The, the second time we did something like that was you weren't there. Paxson was there. Uh, the homeless kind of protest there at, at um, Valley of the Moon where they kept moving around from yeah yeah from, from downtown from Park Strip to uh, 
Westchester to they were Valley of the Moon. We were filming. KTVA was there. They were kind of more obviously big camera and the badge. But we had the Facebook Live. But then somebody was telling them, I, have to, I, can't, I can't be here. This is a police scene. But then another cop said, no, 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 no. That's, that's landmine guys. They're, they're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really interesting how he knew because he saw one of our videos we made, I guess. So he knew who we were. Well, well, I mean, I think that type of credibility is important, if not just in the form of a uniform, because not everyone needs to go spend a lot of money on an expensive news rig. They don't need to have an expensive camera. They don't need to have an expensive, um, you know, uniform. But but I can also see, I can also kind of sympathize with police, whoever it is, police or whatever. Sure. Some guy with a camera who's just on his own, who's not re- reporting things, who doesn't have any history of covering events, or he he's not the same as somebody who's has a history of actually I'm, working to, I don't to, know, man, to, to do, to do reporting and to show, show people what's happening. If I'm making a, a home movie for my family and I want to go out and do a fake news story, I'm allowed to do it too. It's, you, I, you think you should be treated the same as somebody who's I an established my, person who's been doing this for a long time. I don't think that their first amendment rights have any more validity because of, uh, of exposure. It's mm, interesting. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, the, you know, the, is, the, is, the media, there, the, 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 there is, I mean, everybody's not the media. Yeah, I mean, so it, it, I know that's it, kind of changing over time because there's more, you know, blogs and there's people can, you know, go on Facebook Live and reach the whole world. But, I mean, the, the, you know, there is people who work really hard to. to, to I, I, I think that that used to be a really good model when all the power was uh, collected in these, these little tower, these little tribes, these little groups. But I think that it's largely been democratized by things like Twitter. I mean, you, it used to take the power of an order to be able to reach an audience. And the power in this country, whether it was in news or in political power, was reserved for the best orator. That power has been diffused. In the same way that the gun came along and made a six-year-old as powerful as a samurai who, who dealt in the art of death, Twitter has made anyone just as powerful as the most powerful yeah, but, but, news but Twitter, organization. But the problem with Twitter is, you know, something like, something like 90% of Twitter tweets or Twitter activity is like 10% of users... And it's 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 a bubble. I mean, yeah. I mean, things can be posted on Twitter or Facebook, and they can reach everybody. And so that's I mean, all social media, though. Yeah, I mean, that, like the, a majority of people talking. Arab aren't, Spring. Yeah, it was all Facebook. Kind of came from Facebook. Yeah, but I, I, I just see like we work really hard to 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 write stories, cover stories, report on things that are happening, and I think we do a pretty good job of trying to you know show both sides or trying to be fair or trying to not 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 take something. I think the landmine does sometimes. Yeah, eh. <laughs> but but. Other people, I don't know. I, I just, I guess and it's I, another not, question of who, who decides who's what. So that's another totally. Problem, and I, I'm, I'm not as, you know, involved in the story writing process or the story decision making process. I, I mostly do with the, the videos when I'm in town. And, you know, that's been more lately. And so I've been able to make more videos and more videos with the landmine. And when we first started, there was a lot. And there was kind of a period in the middle where you were outsourcing a couple different videographers for a couple different. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> that was a project. You were gone. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. And that's good because the landmine has some good content. I hope that we continue to progress with more video content because I think video content can really uh, not done in the way that typical news is. Cause I, I, but well, more the, the, the earthquake video we did. Remember the earthquake one? Yeah, that was yeah, fun. Turned turned it around and that that got a lot of man. That got a ton of views. That was a good video. Yeah, that was that was a quick day turn like and got like style. That looked much more like a traditional news style, and it got like thirty two thousand views. So it ended up getting some good traffic. Yeah, no, I, I, I had people commenting from all over the world. Just like going back to that, we post that, and people from Europe are like, "Oh my god, this is! I can't believe this happened." Totally. It was just about who got it out first, and. You know, every one of these news organizations that exist today, every one of these like powerhouses existed somewhere. Even though the news landscape was different back then, they all started and rose up somehow, some way. 
that cultivated their audience. And I think the landmine's on a trajectory to potentially continue to grow more people as it, you know, uh, brings in more revenue and defies the news model that exists in America today, which is called failing. Yeah, I mean, media is, I talk about that a lot. And I mean, it's, it's, it used to be a model. It was a you know, good model. Now it's just upside down. Yeah, well, it's, it's going to be what it is closer for a while. I mean, right now, I think that there's an opportunity for politicians to do more that they haven't been able to do with for quite some time because newsrooms are smaller. I think that politicians have the ability to make their own news. You know, you see people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She doesn't really need to rely on news that much anymore because her audience is so big. You know what I just I was talking to somebody about, about this, and uh, I was talking about kind of media and, and, and politician, you know, politics and blending and Long history in this country. I mean, for hundreds of years, you know, going back to when Abraham Lincoln was elected, I mean, the, the political operatives were also newspaper owners. Yeah. You know, it was a very different time. But somebody brought up this guy. Um, what's his name? Have you ever heard of Senator Proxmire? I don't. I'm going to Google this guy. So I've never heard of this guy. He's from Michigan. This is actually amazing. You're, you're going to love this. William Proxmire. Uh, he was a senator from a Democrat from, I'm sorry, Wisconsin. Is that a waspy name? What's going on there? And uh, I don't know, Proc, yeah. Edward William Proxmire. That's a waspy name. Wisconsin uh, senator. He had this thing called the Golden Fleece Award. You ever heard of this? Mm. I got to read I gotta read you this. Sounds kind of like a loose, loose unit it, it, award. So that somebody brought this up. As, as they said, it's basically, but he was a senator, a U.S. senator. So he did this award once a month. And let me read you what the... Uh, Probably gives you a lot, lot easier picking choices. I know some weeks are a little slow and some weeks have too much. Sometimes it's like, how do I pick one loose unit? You know, because totally. there's so many. So the Golden Fleece Award uh, was a tongue-in-cheek award given to public officials in the United States for their squandering of public money. It's named, sardonic- it's named sardonically purloined from the actual order of the Golden Fleece, a prestigious chivalric um, award created in the late 15th century and a play on the transitive uh, verb fleece as an uh, accessibility for charging for goods and services. Um the Washington Post once referred to the award as, quote, the most successful public relations device in politics today. Listen to some of these winners. Um, Paul Erkman's research led to the development of the controversial facial action coding system. Um, National Institute of Drug Abuse funded projects by psychologist Harris Rubin for developing some objective evidence concerning marijuana's effect on sexual arousal, exposing Great. groups of male pot smokers, pornographic film, and measuring their responses by means of sensor to their penises. Um, the NSF for spending 103000 to compare aggressive, aggressiveness in sunfish that drank tequila as opposed to gin. I mean, these crazy, it's like hundreds, hundreds of these awards. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, you know. He was, hundreds he, of he, these awards that represent hundreds of millions of dollars yeah, of waste. But he was a senator funds. who, he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't, didn't have media empire. And he wasn't. Dude, that's a good but, idea. But he, he, as a senator, gave this. So, like, what's the difference? I guess you could say between that and me doing a loose unit, weekly loose unit. I mean. It's, it's a means to reach people, and it was very effective. I mean, honestly, if I was a politician, I'd be doing something like that. I, the golden I, fleece. Oh, award. yeah. I, I don't know why more politicians aren't utilizing the free social media landscape to create their own audiences. It just seems kind of great. Like, this right now is something that a politician could do, and I think it's like— I, I always tell if I ever got elected to office, I would do a podcast. I would do a weekly podcast. I, I'd probably do video stuff. I would, do, I would probably tr- turn the office into a— Kind of here's how to inform my constituents and that's the what it should about, be about what's going on here. I, I mean, there's there's only two things you can or three things you can do. I mean, really, you can you can propose and or work on bills. You can help constituents with individual problems and help escalate their issues 
to other forms of other pieces of the government, or you can inform them. And I think people on that third, that third very important leg of being a representative is often neglected. I mean, some of them try, but it's just the means. I mean, Shelly Hughes does her Facebook lives. Shelly Hughes is doing a you great know, job. She, she's on there once a week at least talking about what's going on. Se- yeah, sen- I, I have Mike always Shower, appreciated. Mike Shower does Facebook lives. I haven't seen uh, Senator Showers. I have seen Senator Hughes. And while I wish the production quality on a lot of the videos in the, the Senate and or the House was a little bit higher. So they're um, just using, they're just utilizing a you know a phone, iPhone with Facebook Live, which uh-huh. works. But I mean, there could be man, you could you you could do a, you, you could, could do a lot with angles, an angle, a light, and a mic. Uh-huh. You can use an iPhone, and if you just have like a four hundred dollar kit, that, yeah. You know, I mean, I could recommend to anyone like a four hundred dollar kit would make you look like a professional on your on your phone. Well, versus... you, you you had me you uh, advised me to buy that um, directional mic for the iPhone. Oh, it's huge. It was a hundred bucks, man. I mean, it's like night and day. Yeah. Using that thing compared to using the iPhone mic. Well, you use that, or you you know you plug that into a nice mic. You like you can plug that into one of these mics we're on right now. Well, I, I got I actually bought a for for my computer, but it came with a cord for the iPhone. Yeah, it's a USB mic. Yep, and it's uh, I forget the name. Sure, I guess it's sure sure mic. Yeah, and tiny little, not very big, but man, it sounds. I mean, it's it's like 180 degrees from your computer audio. Totally. Well, you use one of those in combination like. Every politician needs to understand that you need a key light. Every, a key light is a light that you basically just mimic the sun on a really good well, flattering day. Same thing you, you you have me buy the for the camera, or you can use it for whatever, but that little tiny, yeah, the, it's a the, few inches by a few inches, and it's, it's the very aperture, bright. The Aperture MX. And man, it's just like... We did some videos of you and I, and it's like, I mean, it's just such a difference in how the... In all the, on, all the review episodes, the most recent one that I did with Forrest Dunbar, that is uh, an RE20 microphone... That is a Canon EOS R that's doing the recording. It's a nicer camera, and if you know how to do the right settings, you can get uh, 400 megabits per second, which is a pretty high bit rate out of that thing. And you do that in combination with uh, Aperture ALMX. The microphone is a $400 mic. You don't need something that expensive. And then the little light is about $130. Really, the light is all you need, and it's the difference between like a professional-looking thing and a non-professional well, I mean, If you're thing. doing something with any kind of frequency... Think about it, you spend this money one time, and if you're doing it weekly or whatever, I mean it's it's totally worth it. It's totally worth. It. But I think people, you don't know like I you don't know what you don't know. And before I started getting into like I'm not by any means doing video, but I have a much better understanding of video and audio now compared to a couple of years ago when I understood nothing. I mean I, I I had posted this up on my personal Instagram, which has a few followers and a lot of people that I don't know. I have, I have nearly fifteen thousand followers. Yeah, you have quite a few, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I post up you're pretty pr- landscapes. You're pretty, you're pretty pictures. And then I make a lot of stupid jokes, and that ends up attracting a lot of people to the page. And one of the stupid jokes I had, I was talking about the landmine competition, and I was like, man, it was super late at night. I posted it and ended up losing two followers from it. And someone mess, sent me a message. And was like, this is so mean, and I ended what up you, deleting. What what did I said you, you was, kale, I was like, did you kale roll them? What I said was, man, I've been reviewing a lot of these and a lot of them are really, really good. Like I've, it's been a lot of fun to watch. On the other hand, some of them make me realize why people hire me as a professional. Oh, you, you, did a, you did a story on that too. Yeah, that, that, a, few, a few people messaged me and were like, one person who you can imagine said, and I'm, and I'm the narcissist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm the sociopath. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> oh, I mean, well, I'm. There, there's a reason I get paid to do videography. We, we didn't talk about that, but the uh, AK quarantine ended up being a big success. And at first we got, I mean, I kind of launched it and probably could have done a little better. We didn't get very many videos. We had one video that was, I think, a snow cave. It, it appeared to be a snuff film. Yeah. I was very nervous. 
Um, it was troubling when we had only eight entries, and one of them looked like it could have been taken by a woman who was being hoisted over a man's shoulder as he was skiing towards her eventual demise, and yeah. she was getting out the last moment of videography. And for some reason, that 15 seconds was submitted. Very weird. But but we did the read, kind of the the, the um, refresh or the or the second uh, attempt to, to to get the videos. You man, did we, a good Facebook Live, and that got some good traction. We got a lot, man. We had a lot of. Videos end up getting submitted. We ended up having a hundred and what sixty-seven entries in total, and a hundred and thirty-one of them ended up being um, abiding by all the rules and still, being submittable. Still love that monkey. The monkey was really good. <laughs> I like that. I, I like both videos. I was, um, you know, it makes sense. You know, we put out the compilation of a bunch of them, which uh-huh. was a pretty fun video, and then we put out the winners. And of course, the winner video ended up being watched by everyone who submitted. Oh yeah, that was the big thing. Well, I want to see if they won. They want to see if they won. Okay, we're at an hour here. Normally I do 30, 45 minutes, but you're such a good podcast. You, sh- you should. This was do, fun. You should do a podcast. I enjoyed this. This was fun. Podcast with Kale or the, the Wild the Wild Explorer podcast. Yeah, so I have a few episodes um, already filmed and ready to put out. Got to do Podbean. Podbean, Podbean that's Bean the way to go. The way to, that's, Jason Sear hooked me up with that. Do you think their algorithm recognized that you said them and now it's going to help you? Um, I, I That's a good question. Fair, they fair should. question. They I, should. I know that you can't play music on there. Like It's not your music. Good, because that's illegal. But the cool thing with Podbean is, and, and you know, getting talking about video and audio and not knowing what you don't know, you you get set up with Podbean, which Jason set me up with, and then you post the episode on Podbean, and it automatically goes to uh, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Radio Public. All it goes it automatically goes everywhere. Yeah. So it's just one place to manage all of it, and it's it's uh, pretty good. Yeah. Well, I'll also Every- check it out because I was trying to go the video podcast route for a while, but. I have three that I need to get out and videos. It just adds such, such a level of complexity. I mean, the audio is pretty easy. Every the, time I think I can, you know, when I remember I had a rule with videos for your campaign, I was trying to get faster and I said, it's only going to take me 30 minutes to any edit any one of Jeff's videos. Now it's the opposite. I can't do anything if it doesn't take at least two to three hours because how, I mean, I used to just yeah, be like, good, oh, let's below 30 minutes, below 30 minutes. And it's because I was pumping out crap. And we had a lot of content. We had a lot of content. Now, it, I, I'm, I'm happy when I can get a video out that's under like an hour to three hours of work. Yeah, I, you know, I tell people, look at working with you and, and Scott on stuff, it's, it's incredible. I mean, a five-minute video is, I mean, hours and hours oh, of that, filming and editing. And, I mean, it's... I, I did I, a... To real, I think to realize it, you have to actually have like been involved in it and watched how the editing works. I mean, yeah, I mean, it takes so long. My documentary film I did up on whaling, I think, was more than two hundred hours of editing, and that was a about a twenty minute long piece. I got a lot. That was that was good though. Oh yeah, I really did. You submit that? I mean, that was such. I didn't submit it. I just it was so good. It was. A, it's a really fun film, and it's something where I've never seen whaling portrayed in that way. And I, I just, I honestly, you know, love the people. Folks up want to watch out. it? They can watch it. We put it. There's a landmine article, but I think you're on YouTube, right? Yeah, there's it's up on YouTube, it's over on Vimeo, and it's on Facebook, and it's uh it's it's uh Tigiak, so it's Point Help, it's a Tigiak uh great a whaling story, great, Point Help whaling great, story, great interview, or great video, great interviews, yeah, great footage, I mean, really really awesome, yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, All buddy. Right, Kale, thanks for coming on the Landmine Radio. I mean, you're a uh, part of the Landmine, so it's I fitting am. that you're yeah. here. So this is great. This was fun. All right, folks. Uh, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landmine.